You're listening to Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Here, we'll chat about all things marriage, motherhood, and modern home economics in all honesty. I'm your host, Maurice Young. This episode is sponsored by Dram. I'm always on the lookout for brands that value honesty as much as this audience does, and I was instantly impressed by Dram from the moment I cracked open my first can of citrus and blossoms. Dram is a woman-owned Colorado-based business that champions sustainability, and Dram products never have synthetic flavorings. They're just products made with real plants by real humans. And for a limited time, you can snag your first order for 20% off when you use code HONEST in all caps at checkout. Visit DramApothecary.com or just tap the link in the show notes. And now, onto the show. All right. Hi there. And thank you so much for being a guest on Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yay. Okay. So let's start with this. Who is Fizza? Who is Fizza? <laughs> it's a question I have been asking myself a lot in the last couple of months. <laughs> I guess um, shorthand, Fizza is an Irish woman living in America. Um, who wears many different hats, a professional hat, um, a mom hat, and uh, also just trying to figure out the essence of who is Fizza again, post having, you know, two children and mm-hmm. taking a pause from a professional career standpoint. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing you mentioned, and I, I'm sure the listeners will hear this more as we talk. So you're from Ireland. What was it like to then move to the States and start a family here? Can you share more about that experience? Sure. So I, uh, I met my husband uh, about nearly 10 years ago um, at a wedding. And we later connected a few months later and kept in touch. I was living in London at the time. So I had already had the experience of living in another country. I was mm. there for my master's. Um, And then we got married after about two years of kind of, you know, getting to know each other. Um, And he was living in New York at the time. And I had always been obsessed with New York. It was like, my mom would joke, like, she's only marrying you because she wants to live in New York. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like my dream, you know, watching friends for so, you know, when you grow up in Ireland, you're the TV you're exposed to is a lot of American television, American and British Mm -hmm. television, but predominantly like American sitcoms and TV shows. Like we grew up watching Saved by the Bell and, you know, later on Friends and the OC. And so like, it's so glamorized life in the States. Um, And it's not like that at all when you come to know. And I had family in Seattle. So that's where I met my husband actually um, at a family's wedding. Um, My cousin married his cousin, completely unrelated. So that's how we met. And so I had been going to the States since I was about 10 every few years, um, just to visit my uncle and my cousins. So I was really familiar, I guess, with the American way of life. Um, I knew it was very different. Everything's a lot bigger here, obviously. It's, you know, much more hustle and bustle with New York. But I was very excited. I had visited him. um, And I was kind of at a point where I was excited to get started on my career, too. So for me, it was more of an adventure when I first Mm -hmm. came, for sure. And then I think as we grew with time we've been married seven years I started to think a little bit more big picture okay now I really have to assimilate into this life and what's that going to mean especially after I had children um you know raising children in America how does that make me feel so now I'm addressing all those topics more seriously than I probably did initially which which was where it was more of a 
oh, you know, we're young, let's get married, let's live in New York, live in a tiny apartment and, you know, do the mm-hmm. hustle and struggle of having careers, starting out in our careers and travel the world. We had a great adventure before having children. So um, big difference <laughs> in, yes. from, from then to now where we are. <laughs> yes, I can imagine so. So you just said a word that really stuck out to me, and I'm wondering if you will elaborate a little bit more on it. So you said you felt that you had to assimilate mm-hmm. into the culture, I guess, into American lifestyle. What do you mean by that? And why did you feel like you had to do it? Well, I guess it's it's part of an acceptance. You know, for so long, you have an identity, you grow up a certain way in a culture, a certain way. And when you move to another country, a lot of it, you do resist initially. Like I did this when I moved to London. I was only there for a year, but initially I resisted a lot of the differences. I didn't embrace them necessarily. So I had that experience to not do that again and to embrace the differences this time um, Mm -hmm. and not to like oppose them so much, if you will. Yeah. Interesting. And so in becoming a mom then, what were some of the conscious choices that you made to kind of embrace your your culture of origin, your country of origin, mm. while also, you know, embracing where you're at now? Yeah, I think it's an ongoing evolution, um, merging the two. Uh, I mean, luckily, we're not that world apart. We're both first world countries, you know, mm-hmm. and um, English speaking. There's not a, there's not a language barrier. Just culturally, we're similar enough um, that it's not a huge difference. Um, I think uh, with raising children, it's just making sure they're aware, you know, well, mommy's from Ireland, daddy's from America, and you're, you know, um, your grandparents are from Pakistan. Like, so we have all these cultures in our family. And so, um, we just embrace that as a family. Like my husband interchanges words that I use and he and I interchange. Like, so we both say nappies and diapers. And then we both say, um, you know, he says soccer ball. I say football. And we're just kind of, we're at this point where like, we should be okay with saying what makes us feel good and our kids will just you know say both and I think that's great you know they'll grow up a little bit different to their peers but that different is not a bad thing different can be a good thing and it's a story to tell you know my mom's Irish so that's why I say things a little differently or I I interchange my terminology (laughs) so I'm hoping it won't I'm hoping it'll be a story starter and not a knock in their development um yeah yeah but again like we're English speaking so it's not the differences are not that noticeable I don't think unless when you're talking about things like diapers nappies that's like an example I can think of yeah I like that you know hoping that this will one day become a story starter for your kids and I mean I'm always interested to to learn about different cultures and I hear different accents and my ears immediately perk up like ooh, I can, I'm <laughs> so excited to learn more from this person because they've had a different upbringing and background. And I think that that is, you know, right here and right now in this moment that we happen to find ourselves in globally with the pandemic and, Mm -hmm. you know, these awakenings and things like that. It's just being open to embracing the differences, I think is such a foundational 
point for humanity. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think we're at a real tipping point culturally in life right now where we have a real opportunity to improve um, you know, things that have happened in the past and try and have a better life for our children where the, where these walls that we've put up as a society can finally come down and like mm. break those barriers and have this open communication and open culture. Like that's my hope that yeah. that's where we can hopefully work towards in this tipping point. It's a very uh, sensitive time right now. Um, and I'm erring on the side of positivity and just, you know, as a mom, I think you have to have hope <laughs> yeah. in what's going to unfold. Um, and just having that awareness and having those discussions, my, my daughter's three, my son is one. So my daughter's very aware of who she is. Um, she know you know, we go to Ireland quite a lot. We go, we've been going twice a year. Um, and when we go, we go for a long time. We were there over the holidays. We were there for five weeks. We were supposed to go this summer, <laughs> which we're very bummed out about that we're not there. And she has cousins there and she talks to her family. And children are amazing. They know who their blood is immediately. You know, it doesn't matter if she hasn't seen her family in so long. She just, she knows who they are and there's this instant comfort. Mm. It's, it's amazing. Yes, I know what you mean. And so on that same subject, you mentioned you moved to New York initially and you did have family in Seattle, which is like, mm -hmm. you know, pretty much a world away on the <laughs> other side of the it's country. It's the same distance between <laughs> Ireland. It's literally the same distance, the same flight time. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's like a five or six hour flight to Seattle from New York and it's a five or six hour flight from New York to Ireland. <laughs> wow. So when you became a mom, what was that experience like being not as close as you had been used to, to your family? Yeah, I think that's, that was very tough. I was really lucky. Um, so I had, we lived in New York for two years and then we made a decision to move to New Orleans. That's where my husband's uh, husband grew up and his parents were. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was like a life change. We had, you know, done the hustle. And I was really lucky. I got to keep my job, which was in New Jersey at the time, and work remote. And my husband decided to like take a career break and do an MBA and focus on his family business. And, and that's when we made a conscious decision to start a family. It was all very much planned. Okay. And it was, you know, we were living with his parents at the time um, to save money and just, you know, to get our ducks in a row for, for where we wanted to be in the future. And at the time, I had. I was living with his parents and I had my mom fly in for a month, a month, I think a month. Yeah. Three weeks. So she, her and my, my dad came for a week. So I was really lucky. I had a lot of support around me when my daughter was born and, um, that, that I think helped. And then, um, three months later, my husband and I actually, because he was in a flexible situation, we went to Ireland for five weeks. So I was, I, it was really nice because I didn't feel you know, that level of homesick or like I'm a new mom and, you know, I need my support system. I had his parents for support initially. And then I had, was able to go when she was four months to Ireland and we went to Italy for a week and we had a great time. And we, we did all this, we all, we did all this travel when we went to Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we really made the ma most of the situation because I was going to go back to work when she turned six months. So mm -hmm. 
I never really had time to think about being um, the distance because I was so busy and with the travel and I'm getting to see everyone, obviously, right? Like that makes it right. much better. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's really important that, um, you know, like you mentioned, you had your in-laws and you had the opportunity to go see your parents and that connection, you know, I know how much that means for a new mom, just to, to know that you're not alone, to know that you have someone there that you can turn to whenever you need them is, you know, can make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just so many obstacles as a new mom. I remember not being able to breastfeed and it being the worst thing. And I just, mm. I just felt like an instant failure. I'm like, why can everyone else do this and not me? Like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> you know, mm. I was really hard on myself. And my mom was there at the time and she kept saying she needs a bottle, give her a bottle. And she was, I think maybe three, three or four days old. And I was just so frustrated and I was trying to pump and nothing was coming, literally nothing. And mm-hmm. I'm crying and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And there's, you know, and, and I, I'm like, no, mom, you're wrong. It's not, you don't know in your time you formula fed. And I've been reading all these books and I understand, you know, you just, yeah. you have this air of arrogance when you, you also want to do it your way. And this just this stubbornness. It's so mm-hmm. funny. Like I remember just being so stubborn and being like, no, well, the book says this. And, and, th- and then slowly those layers of, insecurities are unravel and you realize I don't know I need help (laughs) Mm -hmm. so walk me through that a little bit I know that there are many women who have the desire to breastfeed and when the time comes there are various challenges or obstacles that make it so it's not necessarily feasible and I've I've witnessed this culture you know the breast is best you know Mm -hmm. and and how that can really negatively influence women who at the end of the day are trying to do what's best for their baby. I would be really curious to hear from you about what your experience was in working through the emotional side of that and and how you were able to move through it. Yeah, I have to say it's it's extremely challenging because you're also postpartum and it's your first baby. Yeah. And you I personally, I don't know about anyone else, but I personally put a lot of pressure on myself because I had this image of the type of mother I wanted to be. And I hadn't really listened to people who had told me that there's breastfeeding struggles. I I know someone had mentioned it to me, a friend of mine, and I didn't really listen. I said, that's not going to happen to me. I had my brother's wife and my husband's sister both had fabulous journeys of breastfeeding their children. And I was like, oh, mine will just be like them. You know, I just assumed it would be easy and natural. And it's just so easy. Um, And I remember not having resources because I hadn't thought it was going to be an issue. And then like Googling and then getting onto lactation consultants. And at the time when our daughter was born, it was Mardi Gras and no one could come to the house until she was like two weeks old because it was so crazy. And then they came, the lactation consultant came and I sat with her for an hour trying to pump. and, And she just was like, you know, she was just like, you can't, there's nothing you can do. It's not, Mm. you're not, you're not producing milk. And Mm. I had, I just remember feeling really defeated and disappointed. Um, And, and, you know, I was really fortunate. I had all these people around me being like, it's okay. It's okay. They kept telling me, but I was not okay because I was in a state of almost hysteria with the postpartum and the feelings and the emotions and the crying. And 
I was just feeling so much at the time and the yeah. feeling overwhelmed. And um, I didn't even know how to prepare a bottle. Like, thank God my mom was there because she had formula fed and she knew everything. She was like, you have to sterilize a bottle and you need special detergent. Like, why are you using regular detergent? I and mean, I didn't know any of this. Mm. And, you know, teaching me like literally how to bottle feed. Because when you're in the hospital and we went to all the classes and there's no education on, for- I'm not, and I'm not, a, I'm not pro formula feeding. I'm just pro education and making women understand their choices. And mm-hmm. I just don't think as a society right now, women are put under so much pressure. We're expected to be so perfect. We're expected to go back to work after six weeks and pump and breastfeed and be super moms. And, but then when we can't do one of those things, where's the education? Where's the support? Yeah, I hear you on that. And so your mom then helped you to kind of bridge the gap. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, she definitely helped me understand. She was like, well, you have to f- increase the ounce amounts. You have to try different formulas. This one might not suit her. You need to try gas drops. Like she was mm. telling me about gripe water, which at the time became a thing as well. When I had my daughter three years ago, gripe water became like a, you know, available here in the States as well. Um, they, there's like different companies that sell it. So Mm -hmm. I remember going the first trip I took with my mom when she was, my daughter was three, two weeks old. I think we went to target and I remember the lights being so bright, you know, when you're, you almost come out of a cave. It felt like coming out of a cave and I'm just like, oh my God, where am I? It was like 10 o'clock at night and the lights were so bright in the store and we're looking for gripe water (laughs) and we found it and it's just been like the holy grail, gripe water. Um, (laughs) And so for the listeners who are unaware, can you share what gripe water is and why one might want to use it? Sure. So I think actually you can, you can, there's different formulations which you can use at birth or at a certain time frame, I think more commonly it's like after two or three weeks with the babe and newborn. It's mm-hmm. basically um, a formulation of, there's different versions, but I think uh, most of them are some fennel seed extract with some ginger extract um, mm-hmm. diluted down and you give it to your baby to ease with gas. So with the newborn babies, there's a lot of gas, uh, whether you're breastfeeding or formula feeding. Um, and it can cause a lot of upsets. Their stomachs are very immature when they're born. Mm -hmm. And so you need to, you know, there's a lot of issues that come up with crying and trying to identify why they're crying. Is it, you you go through a checklist. Are they hungry? No. Are they, uh, do they need the diaper change? No. Are they sleepy? No. And then it's like, are they hot or cold? And then it's, is it gas? There's like these five things. I think it's Mm -hmm. so fresh because my son is one now. So I remember going through the same thing with him. Um, so yeah, it's, it it was definitely great to have her as a resource there to teach me about gripe water. And then also like, okay, Fizza, now you need to increase her formula amount, like amounts as she gets older. And just having that resource was a big help. Um, Mm -hmm. and I remember going to Ireland when she was three or four months, she's like, why haven't you changed her nipple size? I'm like, what? That's a thing. She's like, yeah, there's different sizes. Oh, I don't yeah. know, mom. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like a huge, it's a huge, it was a huge help to have her have that information. Um, cause I don't think I would have, it's, it's kind of one of those things you don't find. And I was also part of this, 
uh, extended breastfeeding group um, on Facebook in Ireland. And I remember mm-hmm. posting on that and, and there was a lot of support, but it was all pro breastfeeding. So I felt really isolated and I would look mm-hmm. at all these posts and I would feel really like, like I can't relate to these women because I'm not going through what they're going through. Right. Um, and I, I, I'm not a proponent. I'm not pro formula at all. I'm just saying there's not a lot of resources out there for those that have to do it. I had no supply. And then again, with my son, I had a little bit more of a supply, but I, I couldn't do it. So I ended up doing formula again. So how did you integrate this newfound experience, one that you weren't expecting to deal with into your, your identity? You know, cause it sounded like you had very, um, very specific expectations for what your feeding journey would look like in general. And then since that wasn't able to go down the path that you wanted it to, how are you able to then, you know, bring that into who you were and, and kind of um, integrate that into this, this new version of the mother that you were becoming? To be honest, I didn't become comfortable with it till after my son was born. Mm. I felt, still like, gave myself a big knock on it. And I felt very defensive about it when people would ask, you know, or I felt very judged. It wasn't like for lack of trying. I tried for, I think I tried for a full month with my daughter to breastfeed Mm. and it just wouldn't, didn't happen. I pumped every day. I did those pump, crazy pump cycles where you pump every two hours. And I remember maybe getting one ounce in a day, three weeks post-birth. Like that's not normal. So I, I tried everything and it still wasn't enough for me. And then with my son, I, he had some complications that I found out when I was pregnant with him and that changed my whole perspective on everything, motherhood, everything. So Mm. when he was born, I was just like a healthy child is all that matters to me. I don't care about anything else. Like Mm. a child that has everything, that's all that matters. Yeah. Okay. So I want to circle back to that later, your son and, and his birth and that journey Thank you for sharing your experience in bottle feeding and, you know, what that was like to, to come to terms with the fact that your reality was looking different than the fantasy that you had pictured. Because I think a lot of women, I don't know, maybe all women kind of grapple with that. You know, we have mm-hmm. certain fantasies in our mind. We think things are going to go a certain way and most of the time they don't. So, you know, there's always, always a surprise thrown in for a good measure. But I, I wanted to hear a little bit more. So after you had your first child, your daughter, mm-hmm. you said you went back to work at six months. I'd love to know more about your experience and what that looked like and juggling motherhood and juggling your career and juggling your marriage. Yeah, it, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, I So to just go back a little bit more from that, mm-hmm. when I was growing up, and going through my education and doing my degree and doing my master's. And just as I was formulating my opinions as a young woman, I was always off the strong opinion that I was going to be a working mother and I wanted to have a career and I wanted to have it all. I had this really naive sense that life is all about going after what you want and you can make it work. And Mm. it was very naive and very short-sighted. And that's 
what why hindsight is so great because you can look back and say I was wrong <laughs> and that's okay it's a it's a big learning opportunity and mm-hmm. so I like I mentioned I was working remote and then I had my daughter in New Orleans and at six months um we came back from our trip from Ireland when she was about five months and then we were talking my husband and I were talking about moving back to New New Jersey this time because that's where my office was. And I was asking him to support me because I said, I want to get back to seeing people. I, d- I can't imagine working from home and having a baby. Like I, f- I feel like I would go nuts. <laughs> it's ironic, mm-hmm. right? Because we're all doing that right now. <laughs> but True. at that time, I was just like, I can't, I need a semblance of who I am again. And I need, my career was really defining for me at that point in my life. And mm-hmm. I had built myself up to manager level and I'm uh, professionally, I'm, I'm in market research. So I was part of a team that works with uh, pharmaceutical companies and we lead research for them to do with health insurance companies. And it's really interesting work. I still, I'm, I still work part-time actually. I still love mm-hmm. it. Um, but it was really the defining part of my, who I was. And so we made the decision to move back to New Jersey. And again, some, out of some form of luck, I, I must have been so naive to think everything would fall into place. Luckily it did. I found a nanny within a, within a week or within like we were moving in two weeks and I was starting work in three weeks and I found a nanny within that time. I don't know how I put up some ads online and I was able to find a secure nanny for our child. My husband was going to continue with his, his father's business um, from home. So that gave me a big comfort because I knew he was there in our apartment to kind of keep an eye on the nanny and, and also keep an eye on our daughter. Like he would take care of her from five to six when I was on my commute home from, from the job. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, pros to moving um which included just kind of getting back to building a life together um and and also for me my career was really important at that time and it you know I had some I had two great nannies and I worked that worked until my daughter was 18 months and my nanny second nanny quit and then we decided to put our daughter in daycare and that's when things got really hard because when we had our nannies things were working pretty fluidly. We had, you know, our daughter was very happy with them and it was a, it was a very good, it was, they were great caregivers. And so I felt very comfortable in that environment. But when we put her in daycare at 18 months, um, there was a lot of colds and then we had to co-manage. And and at that time, my husband went back to a full-time corporate career too, as well as juggling his business. So then we really had all, cards stacked against us. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked for a brief time. Um, I went back to my career. I had that same sense of my career defining the large part, if not all of my identity. And I felt like if I left it, um, I wouldn't know how to find myself again. So Mm. at six weeks, I went back and my my husband was working too. And you know, we, we tried to juggle it with the nanny, but it was just, there was so much going on. But then in your story and adding in the daycare and then, you know, they're pretty much notorious for kids getting sick because mm-hmm. there's a lot of germs being spread around and it's a very typical situation. But then that means the parents have to then figure out, okay, who's going to stay home with the child? Cause now 
they're not able to go to daycare. So, so what did that look like? And, and did you have a work situation? Did you and your husband have a work situation that was flexible enough to accommodate for family life? Yeah, we, we've both been very fortunate with our corporate careers where our employers um, were parents themselves at that time. Oh, and so understood that we needed to work from home and understood that, you know, if our daughter was sick, we usually, we usually would both actually work from home and tag team meetings and client, okay. like our, our calls and stuff. So we, we had that good balance where we would do that. Um, but so coincidentally at 18 months when she started daycare, we also bought our first home and moved into our home. So we were okay. now homeowners and then I fell pregnant. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah, there was a lot happening all at once. And I was also gunning for this promotion, which meant I had to work even harder because in the corporate world, taking six months off is a long time mm-hmm. for maternity leave. And, and very fortunately, uh, New Jersey laws applied for me even when I lived in Louisiana. So I oh, was, wow. and New Jersey is one of the few states in America that um, support mothers in FMLA to like your job is secure for six months. Wow. Um, so, and yeah, it's, it's really wonderful. It's really great law, especially coming from Europe where your job is protected for like a year, you know? So for me, it was like, mm. it, it get, when you talk about the cultural differences, I felt like New Jersey was the, one of the reasons we came to New Jersey was it felt to me one of the closest states to a European sense of living and mm-hmm. so that's why we kind of came here. And also it's kind of a five hour flight to Ireland, three hour flight to New Orleans. So there's a nice balance there for us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I fell pregnant. I was gunning for a promotion and I had to prove myself because it was seen as a negative that I took six months off, even though it was my right, it was seen mm-hmm. as a negative. Remember my boss sitting me down, even though she, you know, she's a mother saying to me, well, you know, um, even though you've been in this position this many years, you did take six months off. And I just remember mm. feeling sick, you know, and because my male counterparts who had started after me were getting promoted and I knew I was, I knew I was just as good, if not better than them. But no, of course they have the privilege of not having any cards stacked against them. So this is my feminist side coming out. <laughs> I get very angry when I think back to that because <laughs> it's super it's super unfair. And, um, I had to prove myself, you know, even though I was working in that capacity. So I remember having to fly to Chicago two times in two weeks in December while juggling the fact that my daughter had to have tube surgery because she had had so many ear infections and I'm in my first trimester of pregnancy. Like it was insane. So I, I, that was the defining moment in my life where I, I had to just really reassess what I was doing. And I didn't, I didn't realize it at the time. The wheels were spinning and spinning and spinning, but I, I couldn't stop to see what was happening until mm-hmm. I went for my 20-week scan and had the news about my son. And that really like set it all in perspective for me. Wow. So did you get the promotion? Did you decide to step back from your career? What ended up happening there? <laughs> so um, my company got bought out by another company oh. in the new year. So after I work my butt off, 
going flying in and out of Chicago, leading these meetings, you know, running. I, I present, it was a big career defining moment for me, actually, because I was presenting to C-suite of a large retail pharmacy results of the research I did ran for them. And it was a huge defining moment for my career. And I remember being very proud of myself. Um, and you know, I came the new, we went for Christmas break and we came back and I was having the conversations with my boss and she was like, yeah, I've got all the paperwork in, you know, it's just a matter of time. You know, I fully support this. You deserve to be promoted. Um, you've done it. You know, she was really super pleased with the work I had done. Um, that last quarter, uh, my fr- and, and I had told her about my pregnancy. Then I, I waited to tell her about the pregnancy, and then we found out. Um, I think it went like this: I went for my twenty-week for- scan for my son. I found mm-hmm. out news there was something wrong with him, and then f- a week later, there w- we had a town hall, and we were told our company was being sold. <laughs> oh my so. gosh. It was it was insane. I people keep talking about 2020 being a rough year. I had my rough year. 2019, 2020 is fine. I'm home. I'm safe. My kids are okay. I'm fine. I'm I'm able to relax. You know, talk to me about 2019. That was my yeah. my bad year. Um, and so I I did eventually get promoted. It took longer because of the new leadership and new management, but my boss worked really hard to make it go through. Um, they even brought in a maternity leave policy. And I think it was, wow. I was one of few people pregnant at the time where you got, you were able entitled. They, they kept the two weeks paid rule from, from company to company because the other new company didn't have that philosophy, but they incorporated it. Wow. Which, you know, sounds like a huge thing, but honestly, two weeks paid is not that much, but you know, better than zero. It's better than zero. They brought that policy in with my daughter, so I got it then, and then and then I also got the six weeks of disability, of course, which is just such a such a wonderful way to say thank you to mothers in the world, isn't it? <laughs> you are disabled. Here's disability yeah. pay for you. I I just find that so funny that term. Yes, it's it's a very strange perspective, and also you know it's kind of there's that mindset of pregnancy kind of being. Um, a disability or something that's working against you in like a physical way. But then there's also the fact that it's really hard to get paid parental leave in America. And so taking mm-hmm. out a short-term disability leave allows people. I actually enrolled in a program like that when I was working because that was the only way that I could have a paid leave beyond. I, yes. I think actually when I started my job, um, I literally started in March of that year. My son was due in April. They didn't know I was pregnant. And so I didn't qualify for FMLA, which meant I, if I hadn't have done the, um, the disability leave, I would not have qualified for any paid leave or any leave at all. So it, it's a really tricky thing, all of the, the rules and regulations surrounding maternity leave and, and pregnant people and, and how that affects our lives. Um, yeah. But I'm glad to hear that you at least had something. And so yeah. from there, from that point of finally getting the promotion, knowing that you were going to have some paid leave, and, and also it sounds like you were expecting to take off another six months with your son. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I was expecting, I had told them six months, but I had also told my boss this time I was not going to come back full time. So, oh, um, okay. Yeah. So they, she supported that. So, um, 
initially it was looking like a part-time where I would ramp up and start with 10 hours a week that started in in November and Mm -hmm. and you know with the hopes of me ramping up to 24 hours and then coming back full-time but then I had a discussion with her in February saying that I in January actually this year saying I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do that I just it was not it was not something I wanted to do and um I gave her the choice of, you know, if you don't want me for the 10 hours, it's fine. I completely understand. It's, it's fine. Um, but she was very supportive and said, no, we, we really value you. We really want to keep you on in any capacity that we can right now. Um, wow. So, we, you know, we'll reassess when we need to. But for now, we'd like you to stay on. And, and I'm still staying. I've, that's my current workflow. I work 10 hours a week. If they need me for more, I might ramp it up if needed. Yeah. So how did you come to that decision to kind of ramp things down a little bit in, in how many hours you were working? I think a lot of it was reassessing everything, having lived the dream, if you will, that I had envisioned of being a working mom and having it all mm-hmm. and realizing it was a nightmare. <laughs> Let's be honest, like juggling mm-hmm. all these balls of, you know, one child in daycare now you're gonna have two I just couldn't imagine it and and then finding a child caregiver and the struggles of how hard that can be and and you know finding a right fit for your child children now you know you're talking about multiples and you're talking about someone who can manage the household and I'm like honestly I'm in a position where I feel like I want to enjoy my children right now and have this time with them that I'll never get back and Mm -hmm. it felt like a real light switch going off like this is what's important not climbing the corporate ladder not promotions not being in this political climate of having to fight out for promotions but male counterparts getting it without even lifting a finger if you will and and Mm -hmm. having to just struggle when you could be happy with what you have and that was the big aha moment for me of like wow I I enjoy finally got to experience being a mom right without the shackles of some being on on constant call if you will because having a corporate job is just so demanding Hmm. yeah so you mentioned before you had your daughter that you had this really strong desire and this strong association rather with your career and your identity. And so the second time around and choosing to step back a little bit, how did that affect your sense of self? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm only really uncovering how that's impacting my identity now and in a really positive way, because now I'm able to, you know, to go back to your first question, who is Fiza? I'm able Mm -hmm. to look at who is Fiza. I have the mental capacity to take a step back and be like, who do I want to be? I spent my 20s ticking off lists. Okay, degree, done. Live in another country and do a master's, done. Move to New York, live the New York dream, (laughs) done. Mm -hmm. Like have a child, done. Work, done. You know, like it was all this, done, done, done. But what? Now I'm looking back, I'm like, where was where was myself in all of this and that's what I'm rediscovering and I'm really enjoying getting to know myself again it's been so nice like I 
feel like I'm able to read again. And it's like a whole mind, when your mindset shifts, it's like you're, you are able to do more. I now, instead of being bogged down mental stress, I go for a bike ride after my kids go to sleep sometimes, or I take mm-hmm. a bath or I do self-care. I, for the first time in my life, I have a skincare routine that I never <laughs> had before. You know, it's, I feel, I feel so pleased that I'm finally looking inward after yeah. being looking so outward at all societal pressure I felt to be this other person and have all these things, but not really ever actually look after myself. And that's, mm-hmm. and, I, and I want, now I see my daughter and I see it impacting her in such a positive way because we wake up and sometimes we do morning yoga stretches and she does them with me and we do practice breathing and just practice some calm. I got her like, a, I, I suggested she does like a feelings chair where she goes and sits with her feelings. And it's just so oh, wow. nice to have this time to give to them and myself. It's not just giving all of me to them, but it's also cultivating that time for me. Yes, that is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really important way to look at things and just to remember that um you know, we we are more than our careers, we are more than our accomplishments, we are more than, you know, the things on our to-do list and sometimes it doesn't feel like it because we get so bogged down by mm-hmm. all of those things on our plate. But when we start to kind of refuse to to get seconds and thirds and fourths, then we can kind of manage what we already have there and, and really examine everything a little bit more closely. So I, I really loved hearing that. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. So I wanted to ask too, because you brought it up and um, just to kind of hear more about how that journey resolves. So you mentioned you had a, a scan with your son and you got some frightening news. How did that all turn out? Yeah. So, um, not to go into too much detail, um, but just, I feel like it's very personal, but I, I don't mind sharing that he did. We were told at the time there was something wrong and he would need a procedure and surgery when he's born to fix it, fix whatever was wrong with him. And it was very Mm -hmm. scary. Um, but he, my son, I felt was guiding me through the whole pregnancy later half of my pregnancy he was very kicking me and growing really well and um every scan I went to they were really happy with everything and so when he was and everything went according to plan which was nice because we obviously weren't expecting to have you know you don't no one goes into having a child expecting something to be wrong with them or like Mm -hmm. them needing a surgery it's a very scary thing um but I think, it, you know, it helped me grow a lot as a person in in recognizing that it's this is why you need to just let things go and not have control and just mm-hmm. leave it in the hands of, you know, God or whatever you believe in um, and have that trust in yourself too, that it'll be okay because you need to be strong for this new human coming into the lot, into the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. And it's also encouraging to hear that you were able to, even though it was scary and I'm sure confusing and there's just a lot going on, you know, in that moment, it seems that you've been able to look back and, and take some lessons that you've been able to grow with. And that's, that's really heartening to hear. 
Yeah, definitely. And it was, you know, a lot of support from my family. And, you know, there was, I had some people that really got me through those hard times and made me feel strong and um, provided me with that strength that I needed. Um, and I think also it came from my daughter. I, I was really grateful that everything was so good with her. And it just made me see her in a new light because I felt a whole new appreciation of what I went through with her. And I looked back at that breastfeeding journey and kind of mm-hmm. chuckled almost like, really, that was what was important back then. Like, there's so much more in life that matters than, you know, the breastfeeding journey. Not to knock it, not to knock anyone's experience as a newborn mother, but just mm-hmm. for that perspective shift for me personally, right. who had put so much weight on it. It was important. Yes. Okay. So at this moment in time, you've already mentioned that you've kind of scaled back in your job and you've now been able to enjoy more of the time with both of your children at home. And you mentioned already, like my ears perked up when you said you had this feelings chair, which which reminded me of this amazing Instagram account that you've created, Toddler Ideas Made Easy. Can you tell me and the listeners a little bit more about what inspired you to create that account and and also share a little bit more about what the account even is? Sure. So it it really came from lockdown, if you will. Um, mm. This was the first time in my life really alone with my daughter. I was already alone with my son, but she she went back to Mon- her you know daycare Montessori. Um, after my son was born, we also had a, a live-in nanny who was amazing to help us through because we have no family here. So we had to mm-hmm. go through lots of hospital visits. So we, we decided to take her out of daycare before our son was born and hire someone who lived with us to take mm-hmm. care of her for any, you know, God forbid, nights that we had to go to the hospital unexpectedly and there was someone there for her, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never had an opportunity to really enjoy my time with her and in a, in a way of teaching her things. I, I, I obviously taught her things, but I never really got a chance to sit down and think through them. And so with lockdown and her getting out of her, she was in daycare three days a week, full days, and mm-hmm. um, up until March. And we took her out and I just started doing activities with her that were inspired from uh, the weekly curriculum that the school would send or things I saw online or things that I just kind of was interested in teaching her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it sparked off with that. And I started posting things on my personal Instagram page of activities I did with her. And friends would text me and be like, oh, can you send me what you did with your daughter? I'd love to do that with mine. It was really great. And, and then my, my mom and my, you know, fr- my sister-in-laws and like friends we're like, we just love what you do with her. This is so cool. And then I just started talking. I talked to my mom and I talked to one of my sister-in-laws and I said, you know, I'm thinking of making an Instagram page. Like, what do you think? And they were like, oh my God, you should so do it. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of took a leap of faith and, and came, made the page. And I didn't even think of the acronym at the time until I made it, you know, toddler ideas made easy. I was just trying to think of something for a handle And then I realized that the acronym means time. And then I started thinking of it on a philosophical level. Like this is time, not only for you and your toddler, like for your toddler to learn something, but for you to learn something as a parent. And so Mm -hmm. I, through this, these daily activities that we do, sometimes we don't do them every day, but I try to do a daily learning activity with 
my daughter who's three and now I'm trying to do them with my son who's one too because I see that he's gearing up to you know learn trying to focus on some of his skills too like fine motor and yeah and whatnot and just trying to teach him what she learned so early on in her life she she was a very quick learner um so it, it really came from that actually just very natural very organic uh doing it anyway and then I just started hosting and um following other and then I found through the platform I didn't even know it was a thing but there's so many (laughs) toddler pages on Instagram Mm -hmm. and I had no idea until I started it myself and then I started connecting with other parents online and I've kind of developed a little community with sharing you know we share ideas and people share stuff and um I'm like oh that's cool I'm gonna try that and I tag them and it's just a really really great resource it's become because people have amazing ideas I'm like oh my god this is so much better than what I'm doing (laughs) this looks so much better and I'm just like so inspired it's awesome I love that so what is one tip that you could share with a parent who is thinking about incorporating some educational activities into their toddler's life but they feel hesitant or kind of embarrassed because they've never done it before and they don't really feel like they know what they're doing yeah no that's a great question I think a lot of it has to do with um your toddler themselves and and what their um how much how what their attention span is but you'll be surprised I think is what I'm learning how how much you can stretch their attention span through activities and how much you can't because there's a huge difference between my son and my daughter. My daughter, son has no attention span. Again, he's only one, but my daughter could sit there for an hour and do an activity. So wow. I think it just really depends on your child first. And then just try, it's, it's a lot of it is like Montessori learning too. Like I've, I kind of appreciate that school of thought where the teaching is through play. So you can have fun with yeah. it and not to overthink it. Do what makes you feel comfortable. Do what, what, Think of what you have around the house, an egg carton, make a funny face with the egg carton. You know, um, I go to the Dollar Tree a lot in Target to get a lot of my supplies. And yeah. the, I don't know if you've been to Dollar Tree recently, but they've like upped their game to the next level. They have so oh many craft stuff. Have you been there? Not in the last couple of months, but I did used to go pretty frequently. Okay, so they have ama- like they have everything you need for crafts and activities. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. Like they have the googly eyes and I just went one day to pick up something. I was just like, "Wow, they've really up- they have a whole craft section." And I- and it's really nice stuff. Again, you're not like this isn't it's- it shouldn't be super expensive either, you know? You don't want to be breaking your bank on all this stuff. You want to mm-hmm. be budget friendly too. Let's be fair. And so a lot of the stuff can be from home, containers at home. One dad posted last week and I tried it with my son. Just get a box and cut holes in the box and then have them guide objects through the box. That helps mm-hmm. with their pincer grip and their fine motor skills. Wow. And so it's just like simple activities like that. Um, and just, you know, use your resources like these toddler Instagram pages. There's so many of them. And also Google things that if you have an interest in wa- wanting to teach your child something, you can Google, for example, I was Googling um, number recognition last week and I found a great task that I did with my daughter, which I numbered the popsicle sticks one to 10. And then I did shapes on 10 different sticks off those number, you know, like off those values. So mm-hmm. she had to count 
the stick and match it up with the number. And it was a, I thought it was a really hard task. And I was, I guided her initially and she did really well with it. And it's one of those tasks that I'm going to try and do like every other day with her to just keep improving her memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for those tips. I love that. So as we start to come full circle, where can people stay in touch with you and your work? Yeah. So my Instagram handle is toddlers underscore ideas underscore made underscore easy. Um, yeah. So if you want to follow me and send me a DM, you're mo- most welcome. If you want to, you know, see some ideas that I have, I sh- also share and post about other toddler pages that I follow. Um, there's a Thursday initiative that I like to take part of. It's called Happy Thursday. Let's play. That's the hashtag. And oh, cool. um, it's a number of toddler groups that um, encourage, uh, you know, people to think of creative ideas to do with your toddlers. And then you get to share your ideas and you get to see what other people are doing too. So that's, that's another um, great Thursday activity that I do um, to stay kind of connected with the other toddler pages on Instagram. Yeah. Great. Okay. So I will link to your Instagram account in the show notes so people can quickly tap through and follow you and see what you're all about. But Thank you so much for sharing all that you have on the podcast and for being a guest on the show. Oh, thank you. I was really excited because I love what you're doing, Maris, with your platform. It's just so nice to have this as a resource. Um, and I'm so glad to have found you. And I'm, it's just, you're really honest and raw. And I really appreciate that about you. And so I'm very honored to have been on the show with you today. Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of Young Honest Mother, the podcast, which means it's time for you to join the conversation. Share your thoughts on social media and tag me at Young Honest Mother, and then pass this episode along to friends and family who need to know that they're not alone on this journey either. Until next time, I'm your host, Maurice Young.